Welcome back, everyone, to Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less. My name is Misty Stinnett, and my beautiful, wonderful, epic, brilliant co-host is not with us today because today we have a very special guest. But before I get to that, if you're new here, this is the self-help podcast where we read and review a popular self-help book and we share with you the highs, the lows, everything you need to know, everything you never wanted to know about self-help. And it's a real dangerous, rocky ride. And then on Tuesdays, this is what we like to call the weekly beef. And it is the lab to our lecture. It is our time for supplemental material, for special guests, trivia, thought-provoking questions, articles, and we do check in on our homework from the books because, as we all know, walking the walk is a lot fucking harder than talking the talk. And we cuss. This is an explicit podcast, so turn it down if your kiddos are around. Without further ado, I would like to welcome our very special guest, my friend, L'Oreal Marger. Hello, hello. I am so happy to be here talking with you. Thank you so much for being here. So let me tell you a little bit about L'Oreal, who is truly amazing. L'Oreal, you've packed a lot into your life so far. <laughs> it's been it's been long, long, short life. <laughs> Time is a flat circle and this this entire pandemic feels like one day that will never end. L'Oreal is a TV writer based in Los Angeles by way of New York City. Before leaping into TV and film, L'Oreal signed as a recording artist and songwriter with Warner Brothers Records. It was through pitching music video concepts that L'Oreal realized her passion for storytelling, ultimately leaving the pop star in training track for a writing career. She is a classically trained flutist who debuted with the New York Philharmonic at age 11, which I did not know. <laughs> and worked with the UN and World Health Organization as a youth ambassador through her teens. She continues to support BPI, the Bard Prison Initiative, which is a program that brings liberal arts education to prisons in upstate New York. That said, it is ironic that L'Oreal has such a passion for education, given that she only has a GED, but she considers herself a lifelong student and has informally continued her education by auditing courses, ticking through reading lists, and bothering professors at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art and Harvard University. <laughs> L'Oreal is currently a writer on Fox's Prodigal Son, and she has a show that will hopefully be debuting on Quibi later this year. L'Oreal, what a life you've led. <laughs> it's been a very, it's been a very weird, it's been a very weird journey to say the least, but I think everybody uh, has a story to tell in, in some respect. And um, yeah, mine has just taken a lot of detours, which is why I was really excited to be on this particular mini-sode today in relationship to The War of Art, which is a great book. Thank you. Yes, that is the very last book we covered. So if if all of you listening, if you haven't read The War of Art yet, I loved it. It's such a quick read, but it's thought-provoking. It's a good kick in the tush for uh, jump-starting that creative project that you keep finding excuses not to start. And we learn why that is in that book. And I love that you're here on this mini-sode because you are a working artist. And you are one of the smartest people I know, and you are making a full-time living off of writing for television. Yeah. Yes, I am. And I feel like 
you know, for someone who never really got a higher education or anything like that, um, it's a bit, it's a bit wild for sure, which is why I think I, I have spent so much time in being a working artist, just thinking about, okay, how did I get here? And, and being at, you know, even from, you know, playing music, you know, semi-professionally, um, from the time I was young to, you know, having a music career at 17 years old, which I totally tanked, which we can get into if we break out the, you know, tequila <laughs> for another time. Sure. <laughs> but, you know, being sort of in these creative fields as an artist over the course of my, of my life and now being in television in a job that I absolutely adore, you know, just how do you get here and how do you set yourself up for success as an artist? Cause I think we are one of the only industries and we are one of the only sort of groups of people collectively that just kind of hope for the best. Like we do stuff and we're like, well, I hope I make money or I hope people like this or like, I guess I might never make money or I would do this for free. So I guess I can give it away for free. And I kind of am like very passionate about changing that attitude and helping artists empower themselves and see themselves as a business. Cause ultimately if you make money from what you, from your art, you are a business. Um, and so it's kind of like what we're, I guess I'm going to talk about today is how to sort of set yourself up for success and see yourself like that. Absolutely. And I, I think Lisa and I talk about this a lot, that self-help is such a misnomer because nobody ever really does anything alone. And at the same time, as an artist, any and insert any art here, right? Singer, yeah. songwriter, writer, painter, crochet shop on Etsy, whatever it is, you are the CEO of your business, you are the one who gets up and does the work and produces the work and has the vision, even if you have a team around you. Yeah, a hundred percent. And so I feel like for me, what it kind of breaks, you kind of can break it down on a couple different levels. And I feel like we can get into sort of the more, we can start with the more sort of concrete things. And we'll start from like a place of talking about, okay, so you are making money from your art what do you do now? How do you not blow it all, get confused, hire the wrong people? Like we'll start with a little bit of that. And then you get into more, I think of the, of the mental game that, that you can play, like the stuff that you can do to make sure that you are growing as an artist, staying sane. And also before you ever make a dime from your art, things that you can do to kind of get yourself to the mental place where when you do start making money, you do start getting some success that you can keep going and keep expanding and keep creating at a really high level. That's great. Yeah. Cause for us, it's not, it's not like you start in the morning and you go home at night and you turn off. Like it's a really immersive mm -hmm. process being a creative person. And so, yeah, it helps to sort of be able to have boundaries and to sort of frame it out and to think about yourself in different ways and to be prepared. I'm so glad you're here because I think you know, one of the first books we covered in the entire podcast was Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. And then we tend to have a lot of people who are already very, very successful talking to the plebes about how they did it or what their methods are. And I'm really glad you're here because you're on the ground working your way up. You're having a lot of success, but you're, you're not yet international bestselling author yet. Yeah, I'm sure it's on the vision board somewhere. But uh, but it's, it's nice to hear from someone who's doing it every single day, because I think a lot of times we think like, oh, like if I can't be a rock star, 
why pursue singing at all? Or if I'm, if I'm not going to be the next Shonda Rhimes, why would I write? You know, that sort of thing. But there's all these working artists in the middle making all sorts of different income levels in different situations. 100%. Yeah. There's a lot to navigate with all of that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's something that like this is, I don't know if this is anybody else's term, but I, I like to call it the creative class because there are a lot of people that are either freelancing or they have Etsy shops or they're hustling or they're, you know, TV rank and file TV writers, as we call them. And so there are a lot of people making different incomes from their own, from their art. And, and yes, we do only usually hear about the people making hundreds of millions of dollars. If you want to get to that place, that's amazing. Go for it a hundred percent. But there, before you get to there, there are a ton of little tiny steps that you can take every single day and that you can do to set yourself up for getting there and being able to keep going. Cause th- that's really all like, you know, the difference between a professional artist and a hobbyist is really just consistency, right? It's mo- anybody can write a script. Not everybody can rewrite the same script 16 times in 80 different ways on a deadline for 70 <laughs> different people with everyone yelling at them and right. daylight running out that, but that's the job. So it's like, (laughs) that's the job. So it, so that, that's the difference. It's like your mentality of being able to write for yourself, you know, over the course of a year or two in a coffee shop is very different from being able to, you know, like my bosses oversee a ship of hundreds of people, 22 episodes a year. So first of all, I feel like just talking about like the financial stuff with like seeing yourself as a business, I think it's really helpful. A lot of this is mental, but I think a lot of the thing that helps is just physically like you should set up a corporation. And a lot of people don't actually know that. Um, but you need to have an S corp. It separates things for you. It makes things easier. You're also kind of an independent, you're like a contractor of yourself, right? So you're always going to have different jobs and different people coming to you. And sometimes you'll have multiple jobs at a time. So to do that, it helps to just have a corporation and then you are the sole provider and the employee of that corporation. Right. And I think that, that tell me if I'm wrong, but I think it, that makes sense when you have reached a certain level of income as a writer, because there are costs in starting up the S corp. Yeah. It's actually a couple hundred. You really want to have a good accountant. And the problem is Mm. then you're getting into somebody preparing your corporate taxes and your personal taxes. And that's where it starts to get really, that's where it starts to get really expensive. So you do want to make sure that you are, unless you do them yourself, but you do want to make sure that it's, that it's really worth it for you to be, you know, employing more people basically. Cause that's, that's essentially what you start doing as, as writers, we pay commissions already to our, to our representatives. So you're paying out commissions then you're paying an account you're paying a lawyer. All of these people start mm-hmm. coming out of your business. But the great thing about right. that is that, you know, once you get a great accountant, they just help you clean everything up. So you can stop looking at like, Oh, my art, my income. You start looking at, okay, this is my business. It makes this. You have somebody that tells you this is going to be your salary. And then you get out of sort of like the hustle of the gigs and you start to feel like, okay, I'm on a payroll. I'm an employee of this company. And so it starts Mm -hmm. to make things really clean for you in terms of just looking at, okay, this is my income. And it doesn't matter if I get a huge commission or I get a tiny residual check. I still get sort of a measured income every week or every two weeks or whatever, or, you know, a chunk of money that you split up depending on how your accountant wants to do it. But it just really changes your mindset. Yeah. That's what I was just thinking. I mean, 
first, I think it's great that when you do incorporate, you can start to write off supplies, the office space you use in your home as corporate office space. But yeah, I feel like once you've invested the time and energy to get that set up, and then you're like, oh, I actually, because you have to choose a company name and it's mm-hmm. legally a business, et cetera. Did you find that when you incorporated, you had a shift? Um, I did. Yeah. I mean, I felt like there were two big shifts for me. And I feel like it was when I incorporated and did take control of my finances and did get an accountant. And I have a financial advisor as well, because I just like don't like to deal with that stuff because I find that it clogs my mind creatively. Like to me, if I have like a logistics thing, it will eat at me until I do it. And I can't like think. So Mm. I've made, I've made the choice in my life at this point that like anything that doesn't allow me to do my best creative process, if I can outsource it and it's not crazy, I try to, but my rule of that, and I'll loop back, but my rule of that is like, if you have the time, not the money, spend the time. If you have the money, not the time, spend the money. Like you have to look at your life and like your focus and your time and your energy is the resource you can never get back. You can always earn more money. So if it, you know, you have to look in that situation, which is worth more. And sometimes your time is worth more than what you would save if you did it yourself. I love that motto because everybody listening has different levels of income. And so, yeah, if you, if you have more time than income, great, spend the time. Yeah. Do it yourself if you need to. Uh, That's great. A hundred percent. And I think something that, and we'll get back into the people you sort of like populate your life with, um, as you start expanding in your career. But I went to my friends who I really respect financially. I think that thinking about it in terms of like, you have friends who, if you have friends who always have great clothes, you go and you say, Hey, can you take me shopping? Or, Hey, what do you think of this outfit? Or, Hey, like, do you like this shirt? Should I buy it? If you have friends that are really good with money and that are successful, or you have any friends who like have things like that, or, you know, you really like their what their manager is doing for them. Ask them where they found that person. Ask them what they like about them. Ask them if you can even just talk to that person on the phone to get a sense of what am I looking for? Because especially Mm. when it comes to financial advisors, like A, you don't want to go with some like weird random person that you've never heard of that doesn't work with anyone you know that's not at a company because that's where you run into, you know, problems. And you also want to make Mm -hmm. sure that you trust them and that you respect their advice. And the easiest way to do that is to just find anyone in your life that you think, oh, they might have a good lead. I would recommend talking to them. And I do that for everything in my life too. So it's like, if I have someone who I think is like really great at meditating and I want to get better at meditating, I'll be like, Hey, where do you meditate? Who teaches you how to do this stuff? And I'll go, you know, ask them that. But I always find that that's a really, really good rule of thumb. Um, And then the second moment for me was, and probably the biggest one was joining the WGA. Which is the, that's the Writers Guild of America. Yeah. So that's like the Writers Union. And I think that that, you know, that's a really empowering process too. I'm not sure um, if other artistic communities have the same thing. And we're very lucky in that respect that our union is so strong. But yeah, that that's where you kind of start to also get to see other writers in the process and, and understand the community and also understand sort of the career path, um, I guess, in, in writing really. Absolutely. Yeah. But the, the thing that's in terms of like speaking about, you know, when you have the money, spend the money, not the time. 
assuming you have kind of set up all that financial stuff and you are in a good place and you have your income and you're doing your personal expenses out of that, you're writing off your stuff for your business, like your expo markers or your paint or whatever you're doing. Um, I think it's really important to look at where you can invest back in your company and invest back in yourself. And that's something we see with, you know, startups a lot of the time. It's like they'll get a round of funding and they'll like invest a lot of that back into product development and expanding the company. And I think we need to do the same thing. So it's like, yes, you do need to prepare for a rainy day. Yes, you do need to get your retirement set up, pay off your debt. You know what I mean? Make sure your bills are paid. Make sure your credit card is paid. Make sure your team is paid. Like, make sure all of those nuts and bolts, like have your safety net, have your expenses stashed away once you can, and just work on getting that set up first. Once you are like safe financially and you feel like you have reached a good place, I think it's important to make sure that you're investing in the growth. This is like, if that's your kind of like short term, like quarterly shareholders information meeting, then this is like the long-term growth of your company. And that's deepening your craft, taking classes, going on a retreat, you know, Mm. getting a masterclass Mm -hmm. subscription, like anything that is going to help you become better because ultimately it all comes back to your craft. That's the thing that got you this business that kind of got you out there in the first place. And so if you're not constantly growing and nurturing that craft, and honing your craft, it, you will probably reach a like, you know, wall kind of a thing at a certain point, because you'll start to realize you've run out of track. Like the goal is to like, keep laying the tracks, so your train kind of keeps going down. I love that visual. Yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah. Like frantically. And it's really hard because a lot of times, you know, like, as we're working long days, like if you're in a room, you know, you can be working yeah. super long days and you can wake up and nine months have gone by or whatever. And it's like, you're like crawling out of a hole, but you know, <laughs> I think that's why it's important to just challenge yourself to, okay, what can I do to lay a little bit more track? What can I do to do a little bit more for my future self when I'm not in this job? And um, yeah. And to just make sure that I am, that I am not the same artist I was last year. Cause that's the goal, right? You like artists, when you, when you get stuck in a version of yourself, you're like, uh, and then sometimes you look back at that version of yourself in your work and you're like, Oh God, I'm not even, I don't know her. Like, I don't want to be. There. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. So that's why I think it's, it's important to kind of like keep investing back in yourself, both in energy and monetarily as well. Great. Yeah. And then the, the last sort of a, the last sort of pillar of this, which I think is the biggest one. And it's the one that can like starts immediately, if you will, is that you are, like you said, you're the CEO of your company, right? And mm-hmm. the thing about CEOs is that if you are not treating them well, they will run your well-oiled train into the ground. And it's Uh-oh. like, yeah. And because if you think about it, like if you are running on fumes, you are not feeding yourself properly. If you're not taking care of yourself mentally, if your mental health starts fraying because you're working too hard because you're too busy or you're not sleeping or all this stuff, or you're not rewarding them, you know, with classes or, you know, dinners with people they love or whatever, you will start to find that you are running 
your business into the ground and your ability to create into the ground. So it is burning out. Yeah. Burnout. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about Mm -hmm. burnout. Well, and that goes back to you treating your yourself like a business because you'd never ask employees to work 20 hour days and not stay hydrated. And, you know, you tell them clock out, get off the clock, rejuvenate. Take a personal day. Yeah. Go to your, (laughs) yeah, do that kind of stuff. And I think that's, that's the thing about being a creative because you do love it. And it is a calling for so many people that because you would do it for free and you usually did do it for free for so many years, you, you feel so blessed when you are getting paid. And when you are at that place that it's, it's really easy to be like, I can always be working. I should always be working because who is, you know, who's telling me not to, I, I push this whole thing forward on my back. It's like, if I'm not pushing it forward, who is? And yeah, that's a great hustle mentality to have. Just make sure that you are clocking it, like checking in with yourself and making sure that you are keeping like your mind strong and, and healthy and all of that stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think the mental game in terms of is, is twofold for artists, right? Because there's the first thing, which is, and Elizabeth Gilbert actually talks about this a lot when she talks about the fact that like we have killed our artists as a society. And yeah, Mm. it's, it's a myth of creating great art, which is that you have to be starving and you have to be broke and you have to be uncomfortable and all of this stuff to create great art. And, you know, a lot of people say that like, you know, comfort is the enemy of art. And it is, that is true. Like discomfort makes you feel the urge and the need to create. But when we've talked about this before, that if you reframe it, not like, oh, I have to be doing all of these things, or I have to be depressed, or I have to be whatever to to access my best art. If you reframe it as like, oh, I can't, if I stay in my comfort zone, I won't make great art. So what do you do? You have to define a new comfort zone and then challenge yourself to push out of that. And then once you've challenged yourself to push Mm. out of whatever that new comfort zone is, push out again, find more boundaries. Because that's the other thing. Once you start working for other people or you start and you do get more comfortable financially or whatever, it's easy to just be like, Oh, I have, Oh, I'm, I'm an artist, but I'm a working artist, but like I have a job. So you know what? So I don't need to like write my own pilot or I don't need to, I don't need to take a risk or go to that like crazy improv class that scares the shit out of me and like, you know, work on honing my comedy skills. Like maybe that's not what you want to do, but anything that I feel like just pushes you into that next to make sure that you're always challenging yourself so that you don't end up, you know, being kind of recursive and just recreating stuff that you did at the beginning of your career right? and staying stagnant. And so you don't get disillusioned with the whole thing. Cause I think if you're not, there is a part of being an artist that you do love the challenge of it. You love cracking that thing and finding that flow state. And if you're kind of in autopilot, it's like, you're not really doing your job. Right. And I think Steven, Steven Pressfield in the war of art would even say that it's an amateur who thinks he's got to be a starving artist or who, who thinks she's got to be an alcoholic or really struggling in some way. And that professionals make sure that they're 
you know, inspired every day at 9am and they have routines and they stick to that. And you can, and you can, like you're saying, push those boundaries in a really healthy way. Yeah. I love, um, this Picasso quote that says inspiration can strike, but it has to find you working. And I really do Mm. think that that like just sums it up. Yeah. You create these, you create these routines, you show up every day to do your job. And our job is, you know, not only like the typey, typey, type, clack, 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 at least as a writer, but it is to kind of go there, to go there emotionally, to give your full heart, to be open to, mm-hmm. you know, whatever comes to, yeah, you know, look at structure and really, you know, make sure all things are ticking and moving in the right direction and, and all of that stuff. And sometimes it's crap. Most of the time it's crap. Like as Aaron Sorkin says, it's like, I don't get writer's block. Like writer's block is my permanent state. I am always in writer's block. And when I'm not, it's shocking. Um, and yeah, that makes me feel so much better. Yeah. Most of the time it's bad. Like that, that's just it, but it makes you appreciate those moments when you are in the flow so much more. And then as you do it more, you get better and you get faster. That's the other thing. It's like, you don't have to wait for inspiration to strike because your, your operating level just becomes higher after a certain point. Right. So, so setting yourself up, uh, financially, making sure you're incorporated, you're, you're saving for retirement, you have your emergency fund, being consistent, really taking care of yourself as the CEO of your business. Yes. And being consistent in your approach to, yes, your routine, everything, because, because the industries that we work in are so risky, because you might have months where you don't make any money and you might have months when you make a lot of money, you don't get to have the same life that everyone else does. You get a lot more freedom and you have the potential to make a lot more money. But the cost of that is, you know, that you deal with a lot, you shoulder a lot of risk. So as much risk as you can eliminate in your life, mm-hmm. the, the easier it is to take risks in your art. And that's where you really want to take the risks. Right, right. That makes sense. Yeah. And and so in terms of like mental fortitude also, because I feel like a lot of stuff, I mean, I know for, for me, just speaking about, you know, being young being 17, 18, you know, just turned 18 or something. When I got signed to a record deal, I was not prepared mentally for that experience. And it doesn't matter if you have all the talent in the world, if you're not mentally ready for what that entails and what getting that much of you, you know, to your work entails and and being a business and Mm. doing things consistently and professionally, you're going to tank, you know, your career. And so, I mean, I'm on my second career already. Um, and (laughs) like massively failed at one. So like, which is great. And I needed to do that because I feel like it's how I learned a lot of the stuff that, you know, that we're talking about did it all wrong the first time. And the biggest part of all of that was that I totally had a mental breakdown because I couldn't handle it. And I wasn't taking care of, of my mind. Well, that's a lot. That's a lot to go through at 18. And I think it explains why you are one of the wisest people that I know. Stop. You too. You know, this is why you're, you're not yet 30. Yeah, I know. I know. I love you. You're not yet 30. And it's like, you just have this perspective on the world from all of these big experiences. So this is, I love that you're, you're coming to us from a place of success and also 
you know, in the past failure. Yeah. So, you know, you know, the, the opposite of ev- if we do the opposite of everything you're telling us to do, you know how that goes. A hundred. You've been there. A hundred percent. And that's, that's the interesting thing about looking at playing classical music for a long time, which is so rigorous and is so particular. Like the steps are very outlined. Like, you know what they are and you know what the destination is. And it's kind of like a very linear track. And then you go to like pop music, which is like, oh my God. Like that's just (laughs) no, no idea. No one has any idea what they're doing. And I mean, producers do like, there are like, there are people who really know what they're doing and have gotten their shit together. But in terms of being a young artist, you're just like, I'm in a dress and I don't know if I'm singing a song. Um, and, and, (laughs) and then being a TV writer, which is kind of this nice, you know, mix of both where you have a lot of people that are on, Mm -hmm. you know, more traditional, like you go from show to show, but you know, yeah. So you are kind of moving around, but there are clear steps of how to move up in the business and and stuff like that. Um, yeah. But the, the thing that I find have found that like changed my thinking of it was that there's actually a lot of similarity between the mindset of elite athletes and professional artists. Mm. And when you use athletes as a comparison, you're like, Oh my God, like why didn't I do that? Like it just, (laughs) you're just like, Oh, um, you're just like, Oh my God, this is crazy. But no, it is true. Like if you think about it, I mean, you've worked on pitches. I've worked on pitches. I mean, you spend months, you spend months literally and you do practices and you rewrite them. And these are like nine page documents that I don't memorize mine. I only memorize the first page and a half. And then I underline things that I know I want to look up and land moment wise. But a lot of people memorize them cold and you go in and it's like, you know, 20, maybe 45 minutes and then you're out. And that's where the decision is made. And it's a lot like, you know, preparing all year to go on the field and play a game. Like you, yeah. you have that, you can't change what happens in that room. You can only prepare. Exactly. And yet, and, and it's also like, you know, in terms of its consistency, right? Like for athletes, it's like you have to condition and you have to come out and you have to do you have to do your best. It's conditioning. That's what you do. And yet as artists, a lot of people, it's like, you know, we're talking to working artists too, but a lot of people are like, well, you know, I'll just do it when I feel like it. And that's what we're talking about, getting up and letting inspiration strike because it finds you working. You know, you have to keep a routine, like go to practice, get up, get your coffee, sit down. Nothing comes, nothing comes, but at least you've written some words and some of them will probably be coherent. So Well, and you know what my friend Brian says, and Brian is brilliant. Brian has a TED talk. I invoke him on the podcast (laughs) frequently because he's so great. But whenever I go to him and I'm feeling frustrated and I say I'm working so hard and X, Y, or Z didn't happen yet or hasn't happened yet or whatever, he just looks at me and he says, Misty, water boils at 212 degrees Fahrenheit here in the U.S. I don't know why we are not on the metric system. (laughs) That is a long... But it's too... It's... Thank you. It's for our international listeners. So it's 212 degrees Fahrenheit is where water boils. And water at 211, right before it boils, looks the same as room temperature water. So he always says like, Misty, 211. You're at 211. You're about to boil. Like, just stick with it. Yes. And I love that. I love that too. Yeah. And that, I mean, that goes to a big thing for me, which is that 
I think things that have held me back in my career at times have been the, oh, but if this happened or if this had happened, I would be in this place. And the truth is Mm. like the obstacle is the path. Like I could look at my life, right. And be like, but if I had stuck with flute, I would be at concert, whatever by now. And if I hadn't had a mental breakdown at 19, I would probably be a pop star. And if my first show had gone, I would be a showrunner. Or I could be like, hey, I'm a writer on a really successful show and I've sold a couple scripts and I'm living my dreams and there's good and there's good things and I took a weird way to get here. It's the same story. Yeah. But if you look at it and but and if, it's depressing as fuck. And I think right, you know, yeah. and, and that's how I know that's how people I think get stuck on the on the what could have been their career rather mm-hmm. than what is the career. And, and how all of those things have gotten them to where they are as a person and, and an artist. Right. right. Acceptance, flexibility, being able to repivot. Yes. Moving. And, and one of the, one of the most powerful things I saw as a, a writer who's great, VJ Boyd, he's never going to know this as his name, but he's awesome. But he had, um, <laughs> he had a pilot that didn't go to series. It was a big pilot and didn't go. And on his Instagram, the next day, he he posted a picture of a blank computer screen. And he was like, you know, back on the page. Here we go. Here we go again. And you're mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's the, men- that's the mentality you have to have. Like, imagine if professional athletes, imagine your favorite football team lost a game. And they said, well, if I, if I had won that game, I guess I'm never going to play again. Or I guess I won't play the rest of the season. Yet, as artists, we do that right. all the time. But those guys yeah. have to get up. Day after day after day, you you lose your back at practice. You lose. You, so what? You're on the field the next week, like playing again, and and that's sort of like the the mentality that starts to like fail quickly, get up quickly, start again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and even higher stakes games, like okay, the team that does not win the Super Bowl every year, right? They're all in that game. There's championships at stake. It's literally the highest level you can get to. They're right back doing it the next year. Or like LeBron, how many times did he try to win a championship for Cleveland before he finally did? And it was always like, okay, we start from the beginning of the season every single time. Here we go. Yes, exactly. And the, and the other thing is like, we're the, we're one of the few professions where like, I I don't understand this either where people, it's like, you have to pretend or people do act like they got very successful by accident. I don't really know a lot of industries that are like that where people are at the top of the field are like, <laughs> I don't know. I just like woke up and I guess I'm here and like this happened. Yeah. And like, it's a nice fairy tale myth, you know, to be like, Oh, I moved to Hollywood and like someone noticed me on the street and now I'm Marilyn Monroe. But like the reality of that is, I mean, that might happen for some people if that happened for you. Like God bless. I mean, I had a very close, I guess, experience to that where someone like saw me on an iPhone and was like, may I have a record deal. But what? <laughs> yeah. But like, but, so random. So weird. But I wasn't prepared. That's the thing. So it's like, it really, when you look at most people, when they're operating at a very high level, it's like nobody got very successful by accident. There was like a plan yeah. that was in place. And, and it's sort of like speaking of winning a championship, like you just said, like my favorite analogy is, you know, talking about what, what, can you imagine if a coach at the start of the season was like, I, uh, like, it'd be really nice to win a championship, I guess. But, like, who knows? Like, we'll just play. And, you know, if we win, we'll win, <laughs> I guess. Like, I don't want to be on that team. Like, what are you talking about? Right. That's crazy. Like, right. to win a championship, you have to at least 
to get close, decide that that is what you are going to do and try to do. And Mm. so many artists are like, I guess I just made this thing and I don't really have a plan. And, and that I think is just like the, the, the mentality that like, I hope to shift and like everyone, I, I feel like I like just stand on boxes like a crazy person. And I'm like, know what you want. Say if you right. want, if you want your life and your career to look a certain way, even if you think it depends entirely on external factors, right? Like someone buying your show or someone commissioning a piece or filling your whatever, whatever it is, even if it's external factors, you have to, at least in your mind, first decide that that's what you have to decide to win the championship first because your thoughts, right? Like anything, especially if you're creating from thought, creating from your imagination, that your imagination, your thought becomes your actions because that is your work. So if you don't get there mentally, you you can't get anyone else there with you and you can't get your work there. So how do you, how does one go about doing that specifically? Yeah. I think when you have a little bit of time, when you can really just sit down and think like, know the, the first step really is to know what you want. And a lot of people, most, I would say most people actually don't know what they want. Not specifically. I think a lot of people sort of know the next level or sort of generally, I'd love to write on a TV show, but they don't say necessarily, I'd love to be on a network action drama starring one of my favorite actors that shoots near my house, (laughs) you know, and and start to get super specific about that. Yeah, because it it's sort of and so that's why I say sit down when you have a little bit amount of time, because the key to this is to dream really big and close your eyes and visualize what you want your life and your business in your career to look like and do it in bits, right? So do like six months from now in a year and three years and, t- and in 10 years and have that 10 years sort of be the ultimate goal, but have these little steps along the way. What do I want my life to look like this time next year? What do I want to look like in three? What do I want to look like in 10? And be specific because that's when you start to, that if you know what you want in the broad sense, a lot of it is Oh, I'm going to say a TV show because I want to be open to whatever somebody might give me. That's being like, Oh, I know what I would accept. That's not knowing like what, that's not saying what you want. And what you want is like what you're saying, which is right. It's very, it's usually pretty specific. Every writer I know has a different person's career that they, that they emulate and that they, and that they want to mm. be like, or a different network that they want, you know, we have overall deals, you know, for writers and stuff that they want overall deals. And it's different for everyone I know. And so that's when it helps mm-hmm. to start getting really specific about that. So don't change it to fit what's currently possible or what you think you might get. Just be really specific about it and then imagine it in as much detail as humanly possible. Um, and write it all down. Like, anything that anything that you see it's all important and it's all valid like what does your shirt look like what kind of relationship are you in if you're in one all of that stuff just write it down um if it helps you to make a vision board make a vision board and have that sort of 10-year one in your mind but the truth is the 10-year one's like kind of irrelevant right because unless you're putting things in practice like in the now and in the six months and in the year and in the three it's that that's mm. distant. You're not going to get to Shonda Rhimes overnight. There's a lot of things that happen before you become Shonda. Um, right, right. And so that's why I say like, keep that big thing written down in the back of your mind, but then focus on sort of like the now 
And what you're doing is kind of just taking steps to maximize the chances that you'll get that outcome. You can't guarantee an outcome, right? Because we all know there are external factors and whatever. But what you're doing is taking you're you're taking yourself out of getting in your own way. And then you're aligning right. yourself with maximizing that chance. So if it's a pitch and your outcome is in six months from now, I'm going to have a bit on that pitch and I'm going to send to a network. Then every day you're going to go in, not going, oh, I have to get two pages of my pitch done. You're going to go, how do I make this undeniable? How do I perform my best in the room? How do I connect with everyone in that room? How do I tell this story in a way that's engaging? And it changes the way that you approach your work. Mm, the work itself. Yes, right. It's your North Star. Exactly. So L'Oreal, how, how often do you recommend, like, is it enough for me to just sit down on New Year's Day and sort of do this work and journal and come up with a plan and then that's it? Or do you recommend a quarterly every six months, once a year, like how often do you personally sit down and check in with your specific vision? I mean, I do it. I mean, well, I have a, I have a writer's group who this is, um, I have a writer's group of all incredibly, incredibly talented, um, writers, amazing people, individuals. And we try to check in with each other and do this every month. Um, and we do kind of a big one mm. at the end of the year and we kind of reflect on the past year because we really believe in accounting your accomplishments and accounting them and, and keeping track of them and celebrating them because there's nothing that feels better than ticking off that tiny thing that you said you were going to do or that you said you were going to achieve. And that's why I say write it down because that, because you can go back and when you do get them, you can put a little check or you can put a little star. Or you can write, I got yeah. it. And that feels great. Cause then you have a, you can see it instead of forgetting. Oh, it sounds so satisfying. So satisfying. <laughs> because then you can, you can do that and be like, yeah, fuck yeah. Instead of, you know, just being like, yeah. oh yeah, I, re I remember I wanted that because you immediately forget because it becomes your new normal. And then it, it's cool because then you, f you can feel the progress. You can see the progress on the page. A hundred percent. Um, but we, yeah, so we do a big one where we reflect and then we set up sort of for the next year, you know, what, what our macro things are. And then we try to check in with each other every month and hold each other accountable and people's things change and all of that, you know, as you get closer to your goal or like, as you get close, you, you might find your wants change or, or whatever. So that's why I say focus on maximizing your chances. Cause if you get too fixated on an outcome, like a specific outcome, you can actually miss an opportunity that's the same, just like right. slightly different or dressed in a different outfit, as I like to say. Right. So that's why it's important to like keep in touch with like the essence of what you want and keep in touch with maximizing your chances and all of that. Cause something better might come along or you might just get close. But once you get closer and closer and closer, you start to view it less as, oh, if that had happened or but that, but that had happened or whatever, you start to view it more as like, oh, I can taste it now. You're like, fuck, I got to the mm -hmm. playoffs next year. I got to get to the. Super Bowl. Like then you start to get like, oh, okay, I can do it. Yeah. I can do it because I can see it and I've experienced it. And that makes your visualizing, you're like, okay, I got that close. Now I just need to get a little bit closer and a little bit closer. So you do this once a month. We do this once a month. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's really special. Like I don't know how to explain because you, you talk about your goals and then we kind of just do a thing where we sit and just we all kind of like meditate on everyone's specific things that they said for like two minutes each, like not a long time. 
But, and then we'll be like, I saw you like doing this. And everyone's like, like, you know what I mean? And Oh, you like help visualize it for that person. Yeah. We all kind of are like, you know, and it, it just, sometimes you they see things for you that you didn't see for yourself, which is why I say like have, you know, people where they're like, I saw you with like a really hot dude. And you're like, what? And you know, it's just like, it's really fun. That is so fun and beautiful. It is. And how supportive. I love that. And, and that's sort of like the, you know, the, the sort of last piece of all of this. Cause once you do it for yourself, where you visualize your life and you're kind of moving in the direction of your dreams, mm-hmm. it's really important that you, have what my friend April calls expanders so that you have people in your life. Oh, I know. Oh, you know, April. I love April, April. Um, but, but she calls them expanders, right? So they're people that have friends that want big careers, have friends that are artists, have friends that aren't artists. Like it's, it's all great, but you do need people in your life who are, who grow with you and who challenge you to level up. So that it's not competition yeah. and it's not jealousy. I think there is a lot of sort of like scarcity mindset in this business because we are pitted against right. each other for different open writing assignments or jobs or whatever that we feel like, oh shit, they got that job mm-hmm. that I wanted or, or anything like that. But if, if you think about it in terms of abundance and you surround yourself with people who are doing things that are extraordinary, who are getting on those shows or selling those scripts or getting those, you know, fellowships, it starts to be like, yeah, mm-hmm. I can do that too. And, and that's where right. you start inspiring each other and getting each other to level up and being each other's sort of cheerleaders and, and expanding yeah. your realm accountability. Of possible. Exactly. So it, it just does, it helps to have people around you that are also in, in a similar mindset on your path to success. And do you, do you do vision boards as well? Um, I do one at the beginning of the year usually. And yeah, I like, for, for the following yeah, year, just, just for that year. And I like to do them. I like to do them basically once, once a year. And then I just keep it kind of up and around. And that way I always, I always like, you know, remember like, okay, this is what I'm going for that year. And, and mine are kind of, mine are kind of focused. You know what I mean? They, they don't have many things on them. I'm a pretty singular person. I like to focus, you know, very deeply on a few things, um, before moving on to the next. So my, my monthly goals are kind of boring because everyone's like, yeah, we know like that, <laughs> but not a bad way. They're just like, oh, we know you're just like, moving through those dominoes. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of how I prefer. You're, you're f- focused and consistent. It's, I mean, consistency is the least sexy thing maybe to think about, you know, least sexy word as an artist, but it's also like maybe the most important of, anything. So, oh, and side note, I have to know at the end of the year, how do you get rid of a vision board? Like if I burn a vision board, will something bad happen to me? Oh do you gosh. kiss it goodbye? Do you just throw it in the garbage? That's so funny. Um, you know, this is the first year I've ever printed it out. So I'm not sure what's going to happen. I think I, I, Oh, do you do visual, do you do virtual vision? Yeah. Boards? I actually, um, oh. I use a site called, um, what was the site that you gave? Uh, pick monkey. Um, and so, yeah, it's really easy. So I just do, uh, I just do virtual ones. Cause that way, if something comes up, I can like change it. I I'm not like a big, like c- cutter outer type person, but yeah, I think con- yeah. And just the last thing on consistency. Yeah. I think discipline is, 
I'm not naturally disciplined at all. I'm not naturally consistent. My natural personality is super ADD and super inconsistent. Um, and so mm. that has been my sort of challenge to overcome in, in my life and in my career. So that's why I think I take extra, extra measures toward being that way. Cause my, my natural approach is like, I just want to work on any ni- new shiny idea. Yes. Yes. It is really hard when you're in the shit, in the thick of a story problem, something that you've been working on for months and you're like, I don't even know if this is good anymore. I don't like this anymore. Oh yeah. And you're like, but I do like it's this idea. Meme with the guy where he like looks back at the girl, like that is every artist in the middle of their, yeah. it's like, Ooh, look at that new thing. I want to go over there. And you're like, no, every writer I've ever known, all of them, very successful writers go, I hate writing. Why do we write? I hate it. <laughs> it's the worst. Everyone likes having written and no one, no one that I know is like, I love this in the middle of like, I am stuck and I don't know how to get my character from eight. Of no. So I am hearing. So you've walked us through how to set yourself up in a nutshell business wise and that mental shift that being our own business can bring. And then we've talked about reinvesting back into the craft. We've talked about really knowing what you want and visualizing that. Is there anything else that we're missing? No, I think that's it. And I think the, the last thing that I'll say, cause it's always, it is like a da- if you're a dancer, you go back to the bar. And I think if you're a writer or you're a painter, you go back to the, you go back to the page and where you go back to, you know, yes. go back to the basics because that's like where you're home. And when shit hits the fan, it's like, you can always create yourself into a new career. We're the only people that can do that. Like if you just write and you hone your craft, people will want your art. If you're being honest and you're being authentic and you're showing up and you're doing the work. So yeah, just like go forth, create, like rock on, find your people and live your dreams. (laughs) Oh God, that's so, (laughs) yes, please. There's also one other thing I feel like we chatted about before we started recording and it was affirmations. Yes. Right. And, and what, what to do if you're saying an affirmation, but it doesn't really ring true to you. Yeah. Like I, I deserve this job. I deserve to be on a writing staff. What do I do if that, if there's just part of me that's like, that's false. Yes. So when you're doing what you want and you're visualizing everything that you want in your heart of hearts, as we say in, in the war of art, there, there is always going to be resistance to that, right? Because if there was no resistance, you would have it already, theoretically. You know what I mean? And resistance comes right. from all places. But you, the only thing you can solve is the resistance that's coming from you. And a lot of times, the resistance that's coming from you are what we call like limiting beliefs. They're things that you believe about yourself or you believe about your life to be true. And I'm not you know, we're not disqualifying all the real things. I'm just saying the rhetoric that people have in their head, especially artists and people that are filled with, with doubt. Usually intelligent people are filled with doubt. Right. So what, what hel- it helps to do is it, even if you say, Oh, I want a million dollars. Oh, I want an overall deal. I want it, whatever. If there's a part of your brain after you say that in your mind that goes, Oh, but I don't think I would ever get that. Or I, I'm not sure I'm good enough. Mm. Those are, those are the things that you actually believe on a true unconscious level. And so as much as you say positive Mm. affirmations, a part of you hasn't been healed yet and believes that you don't deserve those things. So some work that I did was I just 
sat for after, you know, envisioning the life that I want, I sat for a while and I, a couple of weeks actually. And I just, as I was working or as I was going about my day or as I got up in the morning, I would just write down any thought that I had that was negative. Oh, oh, I'm not worthy of that job. Like weird things. I was just like, eh, like, why am I thinking things, things that I would never say or worry about for another person? Yeah. And so I started keeping a list and I realized like, oh, okay. All of these start to group together for me and different emotions and different memories and different things that I decided about myself that I can group with in different words, whether those are feelings of guilt or shame or, um, feeling embarrassed by sharing my work, maybe when I was little, like anything like that. And you start to sort of remember those memories. And, and as you kind of work through those negative beliefs and letting them go and filling them with, you know, light in your heart with love and, and trying to sort of change your emotional attachment to those negative beliefs, because they are a coping mechanism, right? They're, they're a blanket. Like if we tell ourselves we'll fail, then it's not surprising when it happens and we're not as hurt by it. So it, you do have to kind of strip those away to get to the place where you say, I deserve to have a movie made or I want to have a movie made. And you actually believe it with every part of your body. It doesn't feel like something you're, you're telling right. yourself through. Right. And that's where I think you start to see alignment where it's your, your thoughts become focused on your intent, which become mm-hmm. intentional action toward your goals, which changes the way that people perceive you even when you walk in a room. Um, cause it, it's that confidence. I think that you can't put your finger mm-hmm. on when you're like that energy, I feel safe yeah. around this person because they are sort of aligned and I feel like I can trust them. You know, when we go in a room to pitch, like we're asking people for a lot of money to give us for like our little story ideas. And so like, <laughs> here's the stories like we, and, um, <laughs> and so just showing up and being like, you can trust me. And I'm going to take you on a journey and you're going to enjoy it and you're going to get something out of it. Yeah. Starts to really, I think, change your life. Yeah. The way you carry yourself affects the way people, I mean, we're all lie detectors all Mm -hmm. the time. Like we can tell when something's off. We can tell when someone doesn't believe what they're saying, you know, micro expressions, all that stuff. Body language. If someone is hunched over or looks scared or whatever. And, And this is stuff that I've only come into for myself in the last, you know, couple months. Even like, I would say I was not, you know, as feeling in alignment as I am now a few months ago. Yeah, and so that's great. It takes work, but it's the tr- you have your whole life to do it. So yeah, it's like, you know, why not, why not keep going? Why not do the work? Have an adventure. Thank you so much, L'Oreal. And if, if anyone listening to this is thinking, well, I, I only made, you know, a hundred dollars last year off my art, or I only make $20 a month or whatever that looks like off of your art. I still say that you can take most of these concepts and apply them at whatever level, because you could put $1 into retirement savings. You could put $5 into your say, you know, as long as you're practicing that principle of pay yourself first, take care of yourself as the CEO, treat yourself like a get business, an acorns all account, mind get an acorns account. It's at, I think a dollar a month. You can put cents into an, into mutual funds, to index funds. I mean, it will round up your coffee yeah. purchases and invest them. And, you know, a Roth IRA, yeah. um, you know, you can put what this is saying, but $60, you could put a hundred dollars, you could put 
great. Like, you know, you just put a tiny you bit, 30 cents. Yeah. A tiny bit in. And like bef- when you retire, like that IRA could be worth millions of, of dollars. So it's like that, that's, we're starting small. It's those tiny little incremental percentage increases in things and in craft and in your finances that start to compound and add up. Um, ultimately. Yeah. I love that. L'Oreal, thank you so much for sharing with us your hard-earned wisdom. Thank you for having as me. As a working artist. So from from flautist to almost pop star to working writer. And again, if you want to see L'Oreal's work, she wrote two episodes of Prodigal Son on Fox last year. It was two, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> your blends together. It was awesome. <laughs> It really does. So she wrote, I was like, it's either two, because I know you co-wrote one. So I was like, it's either two or it's three. Uh, you can watch two of her episodes of Prodigal Son. It's a great show. Everyone is so beautiful on that show. And there's murder and sex. What's not to love? And we, if you want to follow her on social media, we'll link to all of L'Oreal's social media in the show notes. And L'Oreal, we always like to end the podcast by saying life is abundant because it works all the ways, right? It's like, it's all happening. Life is abundant or if it's like life is abundant. Yeah. Yeah. So will you join us in that? Yeah, sure. Life Life is abundant. abundant. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less, was produced by Misty Stinnett, Lisa Linky, and Matt Sav. Our theme song was also written by Matt Sav. He's amazing. <laughs> do you want to get in touch? You do. Email us at gohelpyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. And you know, you can also find us on the social medias, Instagram at gohelpyourselfpodcast, Twitter at ghypodcast, or check out our website, gohelpyourselfpodcast.com. And if you liked our podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes to help other people discover our show. It's really the least you can do. And why don't you tell all of your friends? Bye!